Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. All right. Did any of y'all go to church? Well, that's, that's uh, <clears throat> I sort of put you in the minority. Uh, stats tell us only about one in five Americans goes to church anymore. Pretty regular, about 20%. Actually, a lot of them say it's less than 20%. And I'm not talking about like for a funeral, you know, or Christmas. You know, the, the bunnies hop in at Easter and then the uh, elves hop in at Christmas. I'm not talking about Easter and Christmas. But about 20% of Americans, maybe a little less, attend church uh, regular. And I'm glad you come because I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy it if nobody was in here. And uh, we're just going to talk about church this morning. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have sermons where you teach the Bible. I have a message from God for you today. I believe I have a word from God for you. And uh, this will help us. To, I hope this brings light and, and answers some questions. Uh, only the Spirit of God brings truth to people. And we need to hear the voice of God to help us understand life, what's going on. I want to ask you a question before we read the scripture. How many of you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? All right, that's Genesis chapter one, verse one. It's the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I I don't understand. Nobody with any true wisdom can understand why you would think that there's nobody behind creation. I mean, when you look at the order of creation and to say that it all came out of an explosion, uh, God bless you. Well, he needs to. All right, we believe God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me ask you this question. If he created the earth, why did he do it? You know, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 30 in different places that he, does, he doesn't do anything without a purpose. His purposes, the purposes of his heart to the end of the age, that's Psalm chapter 30. Why did he create the earth? What, what was the purpose? Was, it, was he just like having fun and wanted to see what would happen? No, he created this earth with a purpose. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He filled it with the vegetation. He put people in it. But there's a master plan behind everything he does. Do you, you understand that? Uh, Ephesians chapter one talks about he has revealed to us the mystery of his master plan that at the predetermined set date, he will do this. So there's a master plan behind everything he does. Why did he create the earth? All right, the Bible is very clear on why he created the earth. There's only one thing coming out of this earth, you know, with all the business, sports, activity, industry, education, everything that goes on this planet. Only one thing's coming out of this earth when it's all said and done. What's that? The church. The the only thing that's going to come out of this earth is the church. Now, the church is a, is a non-entity in America. It's not very important in America today. It was in the founding of the nation. But today, the church is not even, I mean, it's a laughing stock to most Americans. Sports is more important than the church. Business is more important. Entertainment is more important. What's the only thing coming out of this earth? The church. Only two things will last for eternity. The word of God and the church. He created this earth to one day have an eternal family with him. The Bible said that with Almighty God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years equals one day. You understand this earth only exists for about three seconds. From From the moment it was created to the moment it's consumed by fire, the earth only exists for three seconds in his big plan. And then for all of eternity, what's the only thing that's going to exist for eternity? Something called the church. Now, I'm going to say this over and over. When I say church, I'm not talking about the institutionalized, organized thing in America with buildings on corners. I'm not being ugly. That's just not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something different. Uh, The word church in the Bible is the Greek word ekklesia. 
It's two Greek words jammed together. Klasia means called, called. Uh, ek is the short Greek word that means out. So ekklesia, church is called out. A group of people that he has called out of a culture to be his. All right, God's forever family is the only thing that's gonna last for all of eternity. That's the reason the earth was created that he might get a church. I made a statement. I was talking to a fellow one time and I said, Revelation chapters two and three are a panorama of world history from the day Jesus was crucified to the day he comes back. He said, and he was a minister. He said, Brother Brown, I hate to correct you. He said, no, he said, Revelation two and three is just a panorama of church history. I said, yeah. Church history is world history. Do you understand what I'm saying here from the Bible? All right. <clears throat> this thing, uh, I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 16. This is the first time that Jesus makes a promise. And they're sitting around a campfire one night, he and his 12 friends, and he, uh, he's talking to them. And uh, let's, let's read verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his, now he's been ministering for about two years now. Okay, these guys have been with him two years. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? So they're sitting there quiet. And now y'all got to understand something. We have a Bible, they didn't. Y'all understand this? We have a Bible, they didn't. They didn't really know who he was yet. They knew he was a, he could work miracles. They knew there was something about him, but they didn't have the advantage that me and you have of the revelation of the word. So the sitting there's real quiet and he looks at me, he says, uh, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? All right, let's read verse 14. They said, well, some say uh, John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. Now, now they weren't repeating. You got to understand what these guys are doing. They were asking. Well, they said, you know, uh, well, some say you're uh, John the Baptist. Are you, are you, you know, a lot of people thought he was John raised from the dead. Some say that you're Elijah come back from the, and they're asking him, is this who you are? They're trying to figure it out. All right, watch this. Uh, verse 15. He said to them, well, who do you say I am? Isn't that the biggest question? Yes. It's not what do other people, it's not what does the preacher say. The real question of your life is what do you say about Jesus? I right, look in verse 16. Simon answered, said, you are the Christos, the Christ, the son of the living God. There it is. So Simon speaks up and says, you are God sitting here at this campfire. You are the living God sitting here at this campfire. And uh, do, do you know that if you were to say this, you were supposed to have been slapped in the mouth. As Jesus was at his trial, when they asked him, they said, are you the son of God? He said, yes. And the soldier reached over and slapped him because that was the penalty for saying that somebody was God that wasn't, it was called blasphemy. So Simon speaks up and says, you are God sitting at this campfire. What did Jesus say to him in verse 18, 17? Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What does it mean flesh and blood didn't teach you this? You didn't learn this in school. You didn't get this from a preacher. What does it mean my father's revealed this to you? God has put this in your heart to know this. God himself, you've had an experience with God. God's spirit has put this in your mind and heart. He said, you, you didn't go to church. Your mama didn't teach you this. God himself has spoken to you. Now he may not have heard a voice, but in his heart, Simon just knew that's God right there. And he said, he said, you're a blessed man, Simon. You've just interacted with God and God has touched you and taught you this. Now I want you to look at something with me. <clears throat> verse 18, this, I think this is the most important verse is truths in the Bible. And I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All right, 
let me point something out to you. This is the first time in the Bible, we're two thirds of the way through the Bible. This is the first time in the Bible the word church has ever been used. He said, I will build my church. And they went, what's church? They'd never heard the word church before. It'd never been spoken before. And this is a promise that he was going to do something. And uh, we got, we got, preachers don't even get this. Tell me something in that verse. What did Jesus say he would build his church on? Not Simon. We're not Catholic. Not Simon. He builds his church on the ability to hear God speak. The ability, not, not even to read the Bible. He said, blessed are you, Simon. You just heard God speak from heaven. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Demons, you, you're supposed to build your life on the ability to hear God speak. Hearing God speak from heaven is what we build everything on. And Jesus said, I'll build my church when people can hear me talk. And he said, and he said, I'm, and, they're, and they're going, and they're sitting there thinking, what's church? What's this thing he keeps promising about church? Well, dear, was the, the church had never even been spoken of before. And yet it's the reason the world was created. And this is the first time it's ever revealed. And he promised this, all right? The next time you see the word church, turn it Acts chapter two. What did Jesus promise to do? He said, I'm, I'm here to build something. And uh, the way he built it was to die on a cross. And Jesus died on a cross for a purpose. And that purpose, you said, was my salvation. Let's go bigger than that. It's the church. The only thing that's going to last for all of eternity is church. All right, in Acts chapter two is the next time you see it mentioned. And uh, Acts chapter two uh, is the promise fulfilled. He said, he said over a year ago, he said, I came to this earth to do something. And then he dies on a cross. If you're familiar, he, raised, he resurrects from the dead. He says, wait. And he said, my spirit's coming. And Acts chapter two is when it comes and this thing called church is birthed. Acts chapter two, we're not gonna read the whole chapter, but let me just catch up with it here. Uh, verses one, well, let's just read verse one. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Folks, there were 120 of them. 120 people that were waiting together. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. It appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, one set on each of them. You understand that? All right, let me help you here. In the old covenant, God stayed in, in a temple, uh, in a little tent temple. There was something called the Ark of the Covenant. And over the top of that ark was a blue flame. And that blue flame was the presence of God. All right. Now here we are on this set day and that flame comes and that flame divides out and that flame comes over every single person. And it's the presence of God, that flame that came. And verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? It's the first time this ever happened in world history. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to help them do things. You know, David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed a bear with his hands. The Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of the Lord come upon people to prophesy. This is the first time the Spirit of God ever came into people. And God himself, his presence came inside of people and they were filled inside with the Holy Spirit. That very presence of God came into them. And uh, this, is the, this is what he meant when he said, I'm gonna build a church. My presence is gonna come inside of people. And this thing that comes inside of people, the present spirit of God in the earth, he's going to do something. So that, that's where he comes. And then uh, all of a sudden they, they begin to preach and speak. Well, the whole town comes together and it's during a feast. So the whole, there were thousands of people. So they come together. Right? When everybody's coming together confused, they didn't come together because the people were speaking. They came together because they heard this rushing wind. 
the sound of a tornado was the presence of God. So all the people came together. Well, Simon jumps up and, and the people thought, said, let me tell you what this is. And he preaches from verses 14 to 40. He said, this is the fulfillment. In the latter days, I will pour out my spirit and I will work in the earth. And so he preaches this sermon and he tells them what's going on. And the sermon centers on Christ Jesus. All right. And verse, and verses, uh, and then, and he, and he preaches and then he says, you need to be a part of what God's doing. And he said, you need to be saved from this wicked generation. All right. He gets done preaching and he invites the people to come to Jesus and follow God. Look with me in verse 41. All right. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3000 souls were added to them. All right. That's the church started right there. So 3000 people respond to the call of God to be a part of his family. How big is the church now? 3,120 people. All right, so we've got over 3,000 people in this church now. Now listen to what I'm fixing to say. Verses 42 through 47 are church. And this is a picture of the church that Jesus, remember Matthew 16, he said, the whole purpose of this earth is so I can build something. And I'm gonna build a church and it's gonna be built on the ability to hear God. And verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter two is the church he builds. And this is it. And this is a picture of it. I want to take a minute and I want us to read verses 42 through 47 and read the church that Jesus built. And uh, right, let me just pause and ask you a question here. You're an American. You've been trained to think a certain way. One of the things we do in here is what the Bible said in Romans 12 too. We have to change the way we think. We have to renew the spirit of our minds. When, when you think of church, what do you think? Most Americans think of a building an organization. I want us to look and see what the Bible says about church. All right, this is Acts chapter two, verse 42. Let's read it. And the continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching or doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, they were praying together, fear, and the word fear, there's the word awe. It does not, not mean terrified, it just means amazement. Amazement came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and shared all things in common sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, second time in the Bible you see that word, daily those who are being saved, as church. All right, let me, let me just go through that again. I'm gonna show you real quickly the 12 things the Bible says church is. Number one, and this is the first thing it says about them. It says they, they verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Now that, that didn't mean they listened to preaching on the radio. Jesus said in Matthew 18, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to live my life. Amen. Observe everything I said. So what these people, what's the first thing they did? They came together and said, we want to live like this man lives. We don't want to be religious. You know, Jesus scorned religion, but Jesus, no doubt, lived the most beautiful life of any human that ever lived. You, there's no way you can read the life of Jesus and not be amazed at it. All right, you know what? A, a, these people came together and they said, doctrine means teaching. Teach us how to live the life he lived. We want to give up our lives, our selfish, self-centered, have fun ways, and we want to live like he lived. So these people committed themselves to learning to be like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who wants to become like somebody else. So they lived that. Number one, that's in verse 42. Number two, what's the second thing they did? 
They continued in fellowship. You know what fellowship is? Fellowship's when you enjoy each other. They just loved to be together. They, it, listen, there was no formal organization here. They, they didn't sit in rows. They, they just loved to be around each other. They enjoyed each other. They couldn't stand being apart from each other. Let me quote to you Philippians chapter one. Uh, the, the, Paul wrote this. He said, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, he said, I can't stand it when I'm away from y'all. I just love being with y'all. I, that, that's what they did. That's what fellowship is. Now, some churches have fellowship halls. Uh, the name, they really should change the name to dining halls. You know, fellowship is when you just love to be with somebody. Fellowship's when you enjoy it so much. Now, my family's gonna get together for the birthday celebration this afternoon, and I, that's why I thought it ain't no sense changing clothes. I am so excited because I love to be together with my family. It, it's not, it, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You look like you're going to a doctor's appointment. These people just could not stand to be a part of church fellowship. What's the third thing they did? It also is in verse 42. Uh, let's read it. They continued in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread. What does that mean, breaking of bread? They loved to eat together. They loved, they, there was the, the, the Bible talks so much about the table. The table's one of the most important things in our lives. Your family should be built around the table. It's not the food. What happens, at the, that's why the uh, reports, not, not Christians, but university uh, studies that I've seen said, you tell me how often a family eats dinner together every night, I'll tell you how successful the children will be. Eating around that table is very important because t the table's where we learn to love each other. The table's where we communicate. And these people spent all, they love to eat together and it wasn't the food. You know, I, when somebody says, hey, let's go out to eat, I'll just say, give me the money, I'll buy the food myself. It's not about the food, it's about the communication. It's about talking to each other. The table is the greatest place to get to know somebody. That's why they broke bread together. They ate together constantly because they just enjoyed each other. And you know what the word is? Friendship. Table's where you build friendship at. And these folks built great relationships around the table. So that's church. All right, look at the fourth thing they did. It also is in verse 42. Breaking of bread and prayers. These people prayed for each other constantly. Now, now, they didn't have a prayer list, you know, like pray for so-and-so, they're going to the doctor. They just prayed together all the time. They, they just wanted to, come here, let's pray about this. And, and listen to me, it wasn't so much prayer request as it was, me and you are brothers, let's talk to the Father together. You're my sister, let's talk to the Father together. And they just loved to communicate with God together. Now, a lot of people say prayer is a private thing. Why, why does the Bible say they did it together? And, and it wasn't, let's go through the prayer. That's okay. It's good to pray about things. You're told to bring them to the Father. But there was, if the only time my children called me was when they needed something, that's fine. Call me if you need something. I'm your daddy. I'll take care of you. But I just like to talk to you for the sake, because you're my children. They just love to communicate with the Father. And they prayed together. That These are the prayingest people you ever met. And uh, it's called church, All right? Verse 43. I want you to look at something in verse 43. Then fear or awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They didn't go to church because they were supposed to. There was, uh, there was this, you know what the word all, the actual Greek word is all. The presence of God was there with them and active. It was the presence of God was in that place. When they sang together, when they talked together, when they were there, you could just sense God's here. And the activity of was God. And you know, signs and wonders is what God does. 
And God was so active in that place. You know, they were just loving each other. They were enjoying each other and God was working. There was, uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church on revelation. I want to make an announcement. Church is better when God comes. Don't, don't amen me too quickly. Church is better when God comes. That's what church was. God came. I got in trouble for saying it, so I'm going to say it again. When we moved here uh, from another place, we moved here 20 some years ago now, and we had to find a church. So we began to visit churches. We visited 27 churches. I left every time going, the music was all right. The preacher was all right. The building's nice. Where was God? Just the absence of God. There was where two or three are gathered together. He's supposed to be here. When you come to church, you should see your brothers and sisters. You should meet folks. But dad needs to be at the family Thanksgiving dinner. Well, that's what the Bible said. Church, this one, church is not a building. Church is not a structured program. Church is where God is. And God was present and he was working. And that's what the all was. Everybody knew he's here. This is him right here. You could sense his presence. All right. That's number five. Number six. Read with me verse 44. <clears throat> All who believed were together and had all things in common and they'd sell their possessions and divide them among all as anyone had need. Are you believing this? Now, this again is a work of the spirit of God. These people loved each other so much. If I found out your child needed an operation, I'd sell my house to pay for it. They'd sell their cars. Work with me here. <laughs> they'd sell their cars to buy medicine for you. They loved each other so much. They were, this wasn't one of them. Well, we go to church together. They loved each other so much that they would sell their position. Now, some silly people on the wrong side of the spectrum have pointed to this and said we should go communist as a nation. Let me make an announcement. This was voluntary sharing. Communism is when they come with a gun and take it away. All right, no, no. They just loved each other so much that if they saw you had a need, they'd sell their stuff and pay for it. Only the Spirit of God can cause people to love each other like this. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to be around a group of people that cared about you so much that if they saw you have a need, they'd sell their stuff and pay for it? Everybody's looking for a family. This is the greatest picture of family you'll ever see. All right, they took, they took care of each other. Number seven, verse 46. The Bible says this, continuing daily with one accord. These people walked in a unity that we know nothing of today. And it is the unity that the Spirit of God brings they, they, did, they did not divide over, I got to have my way. There was no arguing. There was no fussing. There was no fighting over who gets to whatever. These people valued the relationship so much. And uh, you say, well, it, it, you have to work at it. All right, let me quote to you. Look this up sometime if you want to. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says this. Endeavor, endeavor. You know what the word endeavor means? Work at it endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These people valued each other and valued peace so much that they would give up their petty, gotta have my way, gotta have my say to keep unity in the house. They continued, what does daily mean? Every day, they stayed in one accord. They stayed in unity. Let me make an announcement. This nation is so fragmented and split and divided and churches are so divided do you not understand that Satan knows the one thing I do to get God out of the house is get people divided? What's the one thing God blesses above everything else? Unity. 
of spirit. Hold your finger there. Turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. All right, let me give you a little insight. Psalm 133, hang on to this and remember this. I go into churches and they're so divided today because everybody's got to have their way and fragmented. And there's, we, have, we have missed the mark on this issue right here. Psalm 133 is a great promise. I want you to read this little short passage with me. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How many of you think unity is automatic? You have, to, you have to work at it. Is anybody here married? I married a couple last week in my 368th wedding and I told them during that service, you have to work at marriage. And I've never seen a problem in marriage that doesn't start where? I gotta have my way. I gotta have my way. Doing unity does not come automatic. You have to work at it. That's why the Bible said again in Ephesians 4, 3, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. All right, now, now, if I got a, two people, I can't even live with me hardly. But me and my sweetheart, we're very different. But let me tell you something. The unity of our relationship is more important to me than me having my way. There are very few things we really have to divide over. Jesus is Lord, and that's about it. The Bible's true, that's about it. The stuff we're killing each other over is not really worth killing each other over. All right, I want to show you something that the enemy knows and the Bible knows. How good for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment like the dew of Hermon descended upon the Mount of Zion. There the Lord commands the blessing, spirit life evermore. See the picture? All right, when the priests were anointed, they were anointed with oil you put your garment on and they were anointed with an ephah of oil. That's a gallon and a half. They took this bucket, a gallon and a half of olive oil and they poured it on their heads and that oil ran down over their heads, over their garments and it dripped off the edge of their... What's oil always a picture of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit of God. Can't you see the picture? Where people choose to break with their selfishness and walk in unity, God will pour His Spirit all over them. You want the touch of God? get along with people. And these people in the book of Acts, the Bible said their church said they continued, continued daily in one accord, them getting along. You don't know the reason God's grace and hand was on this people, these people so much. They valued unity above having their way. And they were so committed to it. Listen, you want a great marriage? Get over yourself. Die to self. Quit having to have your way. Live to serve that person you're married to. And, and when you do that, you say, well, I won't get my way. You will get something better, Einstein. You can be right or you can be warm. Which one do you want? I take warm over being right any day. Dear ones, the touch of God will not rest where there's division. All right, this is why they were so blessed in that day. Let's go back to Acts chapter two. But they were of one accord. Verse 46 says this. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food. Do you know the only thing it mentions twice is they ate. Apparently eating is a big deal in a real church. One accord. Now watch this. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. All right, number eight, small circles. 
See, now remember they got over 3,000 people here. Well, you can't take 3,000 people into one home. So how did they eat their bread from house to house with 3,000 people? They broke up into small groups. And you know, the Bible said they met in the temple and it wasn't their temple, they stole the temple. I mean, they're borrowing somebody else's building. But, but they, these people loved each other so much they formed different groups so they could be together more. These people could not stand to be apart from each other. And they had little circles called small groups where they met house to house. And of course they ate, so small circles. All right, look with me, number nine's in verse 46 also. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? Gladness. There was such a spirit joy on these people. These were the happiest people you ever met. I was at graduation last Sunday for some of our girls and guys from Living Free. And uh, a girl had, she was in jail on drug charges. I think she said she'd been arrested 16 times. She was 20 years old. And she said, they sent me to this thing called Mary's house to get straightened out. And she said, the first thing I noticed, she said, these people are just all happy all the time. And they keep telling me they love me. She said, I thought they were crazy. She was just stunned by how happy people could be. You know, look, folks are not real happy in jail. I've been there a few times. I don't think people are happy in this nation anymore. But she said, I just was surprised at how happy these, and these people keep telling me they love me. What's wrong with these people? Are we so screwed up in this nation we don't know how to love each other anymore? That love looks weird and happiness looks strange to people. What's the mark of a church? Gladness. Holy Spirit joy. There's just such a joy there. They, listen, this, this was uh, this the joy of being in this place, uh, which is a mark. Let me tell you something. People say, well, the Spirit of the Lord is their liberty. There he is. But in his presence is fullness of joy. Wherever Jesus is, there's joy. That's why I, I just be honest with you. I just don't understand American churches when like normal people, hey, how are you doing good? And they go and they go, the Lord is in his holy temple. <laughs> but all the earth keeps silent. I'm thinking, I look at preachers. I just want to ask, does he talk to his wife in the bed like that at night? What's the deal? <laughs> I, I don't understand church. And the more I know of God's spirit and his word, the less I understand American church. I'm not being unkind. Where's the joy? I thought Jesus was pure joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What, where's the joy you see on faces? We've got this thing in American church now, supposed to be spiritual, everybody goes. And I'm going, what the heck is this? Well, the Bible said they looked at him and their faces were radiant, not in pain. Never mind. Far be it from me to go by the Bible. All right. <clears throat> Do not overlook the next one, number 10 is in verse 46. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they broke bread house to house, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity. These were common people, simple people. They were not deep thinkers. They didn't scrunch their faces up like they were real smart. These were just dumb country people on purpose. These were simple people. You know what they were? These were trust and obey people. They didn't have these deep discussions of theology. They just said, what's the Bible say? And whatever the Bible said, that's it. You'd almost look down your nose at these people. They were so simple. They were childlike, matter of fact. Seemed like I remember Jesus saying something about, unless you can become like a little child, you can't come into my kingdom. What has happened in the American church? We've gotten so, I have a degree in religion. I've been preaching 40 years. I listen to people and I wonder, what the heck are they talking about? 
Darren's listening to me. Love God, love people, do what the Bible says, enjoy your life, we're done. It's that simple. I get accused on the internet, they tell me, not that I ever look. I get accused of oversimplifying things. It's called faith. Demons, listen to me. Life never gets complicated until you don't like what God's got to say about it. They say these are deep, complex issues. No, they're not. Thou shalt not kill is not hard to understand. Thou shalt, what part of thou shalt not steal do you not get? What part of shut up do you not understand? This is not hard. I'm sorry, shut up, Ephesians chapter four. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth unless it builds people up. What part of that? This is not complicated. Well, brother, time out, fruitcake, silence. Simplicity. Dear ones, people who walk in a real church, they're just common, simple people who say, you tell me what Jesus says, we're done talking. That's it. Just the simplicity. Can I quote to you from 2 Corinthians? You know where all this deep, I see people going, they're deep thinkers. You know where it comes from? Let me tell you where it comes from. Read this sometimes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I fear for you, lest as Satan deceived Eve and led her away from the simplicity that is in Jesus, your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know where all this deep thinking's coming from? Don't come from heaven. Little children don't go, you say to a little child, Daddy's going to bring you a present. They don't go, now how will he be able to pay for that? How will, he, how will this? They just go, whoopee. Yeah, I, do I, am I coming across as somebody that's not as smart as you are? What was the first temptation on this earth in Genesis 3? She saw the fruit was appealing to the eye, good for fruit, and it would make her look sophisticated in front of people. To impress people with how smart you are is a temptation of Satan. It's the first temptation. You know what the Bible said here? These people were just simple people that loved God, loved each other, and said what? Let's go eat. It's that simple. I I don't, for the life, a lot of my friends have nine years of college education to do this job. You need nine years to read one book? What's wrong with you, Doc? I was going to speak at this fancy thing and a lady called. She said, I got to write out this thing so we can introduce you. I said, fine. She said, all right, now where, where's your degree from? I said, Charlotte Truck Driver Drainer School. She said, you are so funny. Now, I'm serious. And finally, after a while, I said, look, lady, if you want to get somebody else to speak fine by me, I was wanting to go fishing anyway. She said, well, we just don't know what to say about you. I said, how about say, here's Brian and get out of the way. What, what has happened in this land that we have to be such big heads and tiny hearts? There's, we need bigger hearts and tinier heads. I don't get it. Far be it from us to go by the Bible. Do not overlook the word simplicity. Let's do two more. Right, verse, uh, let's do verse, uh, let's look down verse 47. Praising God. These people live to praise God. Now let me point something out. This was not music. This was not organized quote worship like we call it today. This was the spontaneous response to his goodness. These people were just, they just were so grateful for what God was doing. They were just thankful to him all the time. They just praise the Lord. Look what the Lord's done for me. There was just a heart of gratitude and praise in these folks. And, and it was just, it was spontaneous. And uh, well, let me, let me just throw in one more that covers the whole thing. Everything was done by the Spirit. They lived in the presence of God. They walked with him. 
All right, you just read, Jesus said in Matthew 16, let me, let me go all the way back, Genesis 1, God created this earth with a purpose. He's looking for an eternal family. It's called the church. Matthew 16, Jesus made a promise. I'm going to build something. Acts chapter two, he builds it and starts it. All right, we've looked at what the church is. Now I want to take just a minute and I want to humor you. Let me point out from Acts chapter two what they did not have. Let me tell you you what they did not have. Number one, they did, what's the name of this church? Does anybody know? They didn't have a church. I mean, excuse me, they didn't have a name. There's no name for this church. I thought, I thought surely you had to have a fancy name to have a church. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do you know the name of any church in the New Testament? From this point on, there are 27 churches named in the New Testament. Name one of them. None of them had a name. You say, well, Brother Brian, how'd they know who they were? They were known by their geographic location. The church at the city of Ephesus. The church at the city of Pergamum. The church at Rome. This happened to be the church at Jerusalem. They didn't even have a name. Can I ask you a question? How can you have a real church without a name? You know, St. Mark's, St. Peter's. Immaculate Conception, stomped down by the gas station. <laughs> How can you have a real church without a name? They didn't even have a name. Uh, number two, um, they didn't have a sign out front of their church. You know why they didn't have a sign out in front of their church? They didn't have a building. You said, well, well, maybe they built one. They never had one. No church in the New Testament ever had a building. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It said they met in the temple. They stole that. They didn't even ask permission. They borrowed somebody else's temple. And if you'll read two pages later, they got kicked out of it. They didn't even have a building to meet in. How can you have a church without a building and a name? Let me point out something else they didn't have. They didn't have a constitution. Now, you know you can't have a church without a constitution. I got a friend of mine. Uh, he, he's the bishop over the churches on the coast. And he told me, if you ever want to move the coast, I'll help you out and find you a church out here. He said, but I'm warning you. He said, these churches out here, they have a hardback constitution and a paperback Bible. You know what that means? They follow their constitution more than they do the Bible. Well, <clears throat> they, they didn't have a constitution in this place. We said, well, Brother Brian, my God have mercy. How did they settle things if they didn't have a constitution? I'm fixing to go off the deep end here. They prayed about it. They didn't have to look it up in a book. They prayed about it. They asked God. I know this sounds weird to y'all. All right, Acts chapter 15, they had a little bump. We won't look at it, a little bump. People were saying, these people need to have certain things to be followers of Christ. And some of them said, no, they don't. All you have to have is Jesus. They said, no, you gotta, have, you gotta add Jesus plus this. They said, let's settle it. So they all came to Jerusalem, settle it. I want you to listen to what they decided in Acts 15, 28. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these things. Who settled things in that church? Constitution? They asked the Holy Spirit what he wanted to do and he told them what to do and they did it. Why do you need a constitution when you got God? Far be it from me to believe we go by the Bible. Let me really have some fun here. What denomination were they a part of? You say, you're not anti-denomination, are you? I only find denominations one place in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter three. I'll just quote it to you. When he said, I hear from you that there are divisions among you from Chloe's people. One says, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Paulus. He said, is Christ divided? He said, this is the reason I cannot speak to you as mature people. When you are dividing among yourselves, you are still carnal and acting like lost men. You show me anywhere in this Bible where churches are supposed to group up together within the body of Christ. Let me tell you what this book says in Ephesians 4. There is one body. 
One family, one God, one Father. All right, let me tell you what else they didn't have. They didn't have musicians. They didn't even have a piano or a guitar or nothing. I said, Brother Brown, how can you pray God, praise God without instruments and musicians? I don't know, but they did it. They figured it out. Um, let me mention some other things. They had no programs. They didn't have a youth program, an outreach program, an inreach program, a downreach program, or any kind of program. Chapter three, verse six says, Simon and John said, silver and gold, have we none? They didn't have any money. He said, you know, you can't have a real church without a building and some money and a program. And uh, how about where their ministers go to school at? Does anybody have any idea? Well, turn the page. I'll tell you. Here's where they went to school. Acts chapter four, verse 13. Here's where their preachers went to school and learned how to do this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and realized they had been with Jesus. Rather than go to seminary and learn how to do this, they just went to Jesus and learned how to do it. They just spent time with Jesus. That's where they got it from. All right, that's a, the list of what they don't have. Uh, I can hear it right now. Somebody said, yeah, Brother Brian, but that was then. Did I get this out of the Velveteen Rabbit or did this come out of the Bible? All right, let me ask you a question. I'm gonna ask a couple questions and I'm done. When did Jesus tell us to change the way we do church from what he said in his Bible? When did he say that we have to do it different? Number two, <clears throat> second question I want to ask is, why don't we go by the Bible anymore? Preacher told me when we're, he said, we're a New Testament church. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, you know what it means. I said, no, that's why I asked. What does it mean? I said, does it mean when you go to church, you carry the New Testament with you? I understand that. I said, or does it mean when I read about the church in the New Testament, I'll see the same thing in your church when I come there? Is that what it means? All right. Uh, I'm going to close with two words from heaven, two words from God. Remember I told you, this is not a sermon. This is a message from heaven here that he's been speaking to me. Number one, and I, I'm just going to let her rip, tater chip. How did we get from there to here? How did we get from what the Bible says to where we are today? You know, I, I had a church inquired a while back, wanted me to come be their minister. And uh, said, we'd like to talk to you about coming and being our minister. And uh, I'm not interested. I said, I said, what part of the word quit do y'all not understand? And, um, but they sent me this long form about all the things you had to agree to to be their minister. I didn't qualify for any of it. <laughs> First thing it said, you had to have at least a master's level degree. We prefer a doctor's degree. I said, I told the guy, I said, I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't have all this stuff. And I had other things that asked. And then uh, <laughs> just to show you that I'm not qualified, it asked, what are the last three books you read that impacted your life greatly? See, they're, they're fishing around. They want to find out where you stand theologically. So I told them, elephant hunting in Africa, field and stream, outdoor life. Screw with me, I'll screw with you right back. I don't understand preachers. I don't understand these crazy, where do they get this stuff from? I, how did we get from here to where we are today? How, what in the world is going on? All right, I'm gonna answer my own question. Let me tell you how we got here. This is from Mark chapter seven, I'll just tell you. I told this Wednesday night. Uh, this is an illustration. I'm fixing to tell you a parable like Jesus told parables to illustrate truth. Years ago, there's this little country church and they wanted a fellowship hall and they saved and saved and saved, finally got up enough money to build a fellowship hall. So they got, hired a local contractor, a fellow comes down and they're going to build this fellowship hall. And the preacher's so excited. Well, he wanted to help with the fellowship hall. 
but he had no contract. He had no carpentry skills. And you know, the, the contractor's a little nervous. Uh, you know, you turn a man loose with a saw that's never had one before, he's liable to have less than 10 fingers before it's all said and done. Side note, nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. I had a dinner last Sunday, living free, and a fellow came and sat and he was talking to him and I just said to him, you're a carpenter, aren't you? He said, how'd you know? I said, you're missing a finger. <laughs> he said, well, that's the funniest thing. He said, matter of fact, I am a carpenter, but I didn't lose my finger carpentry and I lost it in middle school playing ball and got a ring stuck on something. And uh, so they didn't want to give the preacher a saw because they figured the preacher would be preaching with nubs for long. So. But he kept aggravating the contract. Finally said, oh, okay. He said, I'm fixing to leave. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I need a hundred two befores cut eight feet in length to frame tomorrow. Apparently there were 10 feet. I, I don't know. He said, I need them sawed at eight foot. We're going to frame tomorrow. He said, you can do that. Preacher's so excited. He's going to get to be a part of the building project at his church. So the contractor leaves and, and I'm sure he's praying on the way out. Lord Jesus, don't let him lose his fingers. So he takes the first one. He puts it on the saw horse. He measures it with the tape and saws it with the skill saw. Okay, so far so good. Uh, instead of pulling his tape back out, which takes longer, he takes the next board, lays it on the sawhorse, puts that board on top of it, draws a line, saws it, throws that one on the pile, takes the next number three, lays it, puts number two. On, you understand what I'm saying? He did that for a hundred boards. But you can see where we're going here. And he got done and something looked funny. He looked over and the last board was nine foot, four inches long. It wasn't even close to what the first board was. If you've ever done carpentry work, you understand this. He lays this first board on the second board, draws a line, and he saws to the right side of the line, which adds one eighth of an inch to that board. Well, that doesn't look like, you don't see the difference from here to here, but you do it a hundred times, you just added a foot and four inches. And after a hundred boards, this last one don't even look close to this first one. You know, my son's a carpenter and we do carpenter work together. And I, when I hand it, I'll say, well, cut it such as, and I always tell him, make the line disappear or leave it. That means an eighth of an inch difference. He said, what's that got to do with church? Acts chapter two is the church Jesus can build. This is the church he wanted. This is what he meant when he said, I'll build my church. This is the only thing gonna last for eternity. Somewhere along the way in 2000 years, somebody added a little something. Somewhere along the way, somebody made a tiny little change. And 2,000 years of tiny little changes have got us looking like this instead of this. That's how we got to where we're at today. He said, well, Brother Brian, surely he'll understand. Listen to me. This man understands one thing. Obey my word. That's all he'll ever understand. All right, let me quit by uh, one more thing I want to observe about church. What does Jesus say about church today? What does he say about American churches? I don't know, British churches, if you can still find any over there. What does he say about church today? What, what would he say if Jesus himself visited our church? What would he say? Well, you don't have to think about it. You can just look it up. It's Matthew chapter 21. Let's read this before we leave. Matthew 21. All right. Matthew chapter 21. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus had come to church himself? I mean, I think it'd be good if Jesus visited church himself. I don't know if it would be or not. Let's read Matthew 21, verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple. Praise God. Jesus shows up at church finally and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. You think it's because he bumped into one of the tables? 
If you'll read it, if this is three times in the Bible. If you'll read it in another place, it said he went in, he looked around and he left and he fashioned a whip of cords. Jesus went in the church and looked what they were doing and he left and he went and got some stuff together and he made a whip. And he took that whip back in that temple and he tore that church up. He kicked the tables over. He, he ran the... I've never seen this in a movie. I wish somebody would make this right yeah. Well, here's your mild-mannered Mr. Rogers. I'm sorry. Here's your mild-mannered Pee Wee Herman Jesus. And he goes in this temple and this church, he tears it up. He kicks their tables over. He's throwing preachers out the door. Changes bouncing down the steps. Doves are flying out the window. Preachers are getting whipped. Can you believe Jesus will whoop somebody? Where did we get this Jesus we got in our churches today from? How about the Jesus of the Bible? He tears this place up. Why is he so mad? Why is Jesus so upset with church? Well, let's find out. Read this with me. Verse 13, he said to them, it is written, it is written. What does he mean it is written? Well, listen, we got to look. What does it mean it is written? The Bible says. It's written in the Bible. Watch these words. My house shall be. He said, I wrote you a book and I told you how I wanted church to be. It is written in the Bible. My house will be like this. But watch these words a little bit further. But you have made it. It is written, my house shall be like this but you've made it like this. What's his problem with the church? You're not going by the Bible. I wrote you and I told you what I wanted my church to look like. I wanted my church to be a place where people come for one reason. They want to be like me. They want to, they want to learn to be like me. They want to enjoy people. They want to find true relationship. They want to eat with people. They want somebody to pray with them and pray for them. They want to walk in unity and quit splitting hairs over junk. They want to get along with people. They want to enjoy each other. They want to praise God for what he's done. And they want to live simple lives just trusting me. You say, what else, Brother Brian? Period. Period. People say, but Brother Brian, we've had to add some things to the church from what Jesus wrote. May I remind you of the last page of the Bible? Whoever adds anything to this book, I will add to him the plagues that are in this book. You don't add to this book. You don't take away from it either. All right, Jesus is mad. I'm going to say it again. He said, he tore the place up because he said, it is written, my house will be like this, but you've made it like this. All right, uh, now watch this. He, he said, well, was he being ugly just because he wanted to be in charge? No, 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 he's not. Listen, he is good. He is good. He came in and changed their church. I mean, he changed it big time. He didn't add a minor tweak. He tore it up and rebuilt it. Why did he do it? Just because he wanted to have his way? No, no. He didn't tear it up because he wanted to have his way. Read this with me. Verse 14, then, what's the word then mean? After he made the church back like it is written, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He rebuilt the church so people could be helped. He tore it up from what they'd made it and made it what he wanted it to be so that broken people could come and find healing. Let me make an announcement. Church is a place where folks are supposed to come get help. I've met more people that have been hurt in churches than have been helped in churches. I've met more people that have been burned in churches than have been healed in churches. What the, I keep wanting to say the wrong word here. What in the world is going on? What is going on from what Jesus wrote? He said, this is not what I wanted church to be. This is what I want it to be. And when he got it like he wanted it, people came and their lives were put back together. People were healed. 
And, uh, and of course, th- then what happened? Well, watch this. Then watch this. The chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did. There was Jesus would like to do some wonderful things for people, but he can't do it with the church that people build. It's got to be the one that lines up with his word. And the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And the preachers were mad. And they said to him, look what they're doing in your church. They're shouting and hollering. He said, yeah, have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and humble people, I've ordained praise. You know what praise in a church is? It's when you see Jesus do something wonderful and you can't stop shouting. That's real praise. It's not organized. Let's learn the songs. Come on, y'all. That's not, that's not the praise in the Bible. The praise in the Bible is a response to the goodness of God and what he's done in your life. Oh, praise the Lord because he is good and for the wonderful things he's done for you. And uh, this, this is what he's done right there. All right, if it is the church, I'm gonna make an announcement. I've seen the church people can build. I am not impressed. A few times in my life, I've been in the church Jesus can build. And uh, you say, well, Brother Brian, that was back then. When did this word expire? When did God stop being who he is? Let me tell you something. What he calls church in this Bible is what every human being's looking for. It's what every person's looking for. All right, I'm sitting in a parking lot over across the highway. Let me, one more. I said one more. Here, Bible closed. Right there, I'm done. I'm sitting in the parking lot one day and I'm watching and there's a bar. A bar. Bars are nasty. See, I'm, spirit, I'm religious now. And I'm watching these folks coming in out of this bar and uh, the Spirit of the Lord just impressed on my heart. I, he don't, I don't hear words. He just impresses me. with one. And he said, why do people go in them bars? I said, they're thirsty. <laughs> I said, no, I said, they go in there to get something to drink. Ain't that why people go to bars, get something to drink? I said, they go in there to get something to drink. And he said, no. And there's a food line shopping center sitting right over here. And he said, come on, beggars. He calls him with my last name. Why would a man go in there and pay $4 for Bud Light when he can go in there and get it for 75 cents? I thought, not even somebody from the southern part of Alamance County is that dumb. <laughs> oh gosh, I said, that don't make sense. Why would you pay $4 in there when you can get it for 75 cents right there? I said, so they don't go in there for the beer, do they? He said, no. Why do they go in there? I said, they're looking for something. And he said to me, if the church was what it was supposed to be, no bar would exist because people would find in churches what they're looking for in bars. In our town right here, we have a group of gangsters called the Crips. You ever heard of the Crips? We have them in this town right here. And, he, and uh, one of the things you have to be, to get in a little boy, a young boy has to want to join. He has to do something to get in. It's called initiation. You've heard of this. And they can beat you in. They can stab you in the armpit or they can shoot you in the foot with a 22 pistol. Why would a little boy, a teenage boy, why would he stick his foot out and say, shoot me so I can be a part of your club? That don't make sense to me. Everybody wants to belong to something, a family. If the church is what Jesus said it's supposed to be, nobody would want to get shot to get in anything. You can get in here for free. There was the church is what God meant to be the family to everybody in this earth. We've gotten so far from what the Bible says it is that you don't hardly even recognize it anymore. All right, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna be done. What's the chances of it ever going back to what Jesus said it could be? We can do one of two things. We can say, well, be too much trouble to change now. Y'all forget I'm old, I ain't got nothing left to lose. Or we could say, 
If this book says it, he can do it. Lord Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you. The cry of humanity is not being answered by your church. There's just no way that, I mean, I just, Lord, I didn't go to college. I didn't go to school to learn this stuff, but I do know your spirit and I know this book. How did we get so far from what you said we're supposed to be? Lord Jesus, here's a group of people. They don't even claim to be a church. They, they don't have a sign, they don't have a building. They just, they just come together and love each other and they read your word. They want to be like you. They take care of each other. They sacrifice for each other. They, they work at getting along in unity. There's just joy there. They're, they love being there. They, they can't stand to be away from each other. We wouldn't call that a church, but that's what your word teaches. And then we got these things down here, these monster programs where people come in and some guy fusses at them and they do all this music and stuff. And how did we get so far from your word? Well, Lord Jesus, I got a feeling it's got something to do with that sawing too many boards over time in the wrong place. Little changes we never should have made. But I pray in simple childlike faith, because you remember your word said simplicity. I pray in simple childlike faith. My heart longs to see the church of Jesus can build. Not just for my sake, I'd love it. But the people of this land desperately need a place where they can be loved and cared for and the blind and the lame can come to that place and be healed. The broken and the messed up can come find healing and find your presence. Those people that are paying $4 a can for beer, they need a place where they can come find what they're looking for. I got a feeling that's supposed to be in the church. I just pray in Jesus' name, you promised me upon this rock, I'll build my church. If you'll listen to me, the ability to hear from heaven, I'll build my church and it'll bust the gates of hell. I trust you for that. Well, this is a simple childlike prayer, but I know how big you are and how good you are and I trust you for it and I give you the praise and glory. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. 